It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Global Live Brand Story Agency and the co-author of the best-selling book, Challenge Everything, the battle cry that blew up <laughs> and invented live brand storytelling. I've been talking to Scott here for a little while, and I, I think you guys are going to love this. You're in for a big treat. Scott Colather, welcome to the show. Bert, it's a pleasure to be with you. Big fan of your program, and I'm thrilled to be with you this afternoon. Well, thank you. I, I'm excited to have you here as well. And uh, first of all, let's talk about the book. Uh, talk about the title uh, and, and talk about what inspired you to write the book. Right. So uh, the title is called Challenge Everything, the battle cry that blew shit up. I'm not afraid to, afraid to say that. Blew shit up and invented live brand storytelling. So I've been in the business of, of live events for my entire life. Uh, my father was the 13th employee at an agency called Jack Morton, which is now owned by Interpublic Group. And my wife and I in 2008 um, began our own live events business in the height of the economic meltdown. And we've had a 12-year ride since then that has basically uh, taken us from a mom-and-pop startup to one of the largest, most successful agencies in our space with eight offices, five countries, four continents. Uh, and we've had the opportunity to grow this business over the last 12 years. Actually went through an acquisition. We were acquired by Time, Inc., uh, came out of that acquisition um, after it sort of wound itself out, uh, had got our agency back again. And so what we wanted to do, Bert, was basically share uh, our story and share our best practices and learnings to, you know, our colleagues, our competitors, our consumers and customers uh, and aspirational entrepreneurs that just want to start their own thing. And so that's what this book is really about. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right. So, you know, you and I, at first, we were going to talk about the, you know, the, the, the massive changes that are happening in, um, in, in real estate, uh, not real estate, in retail. And, and then we kind of pivoted and we, we decided, hey, we're going to be talking about the challenger mindset. And, and this is something that, that's in your book. So why don't you let everybody know what is the challenger mindset before we get started? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, so for us, uh, when we started in 2008, you know, it, it's interesting because there was just my wife and I, Christina McCubrey, who is our chief operating officer, um, started the business with our own funds. We had $400,000. And so we didn't have this sort of big, I mean, we had a huge aspiration, but we didn't have a budget to back that aspiration. So we had to do things very differently. And by design, because of when we started in the height of the economic meltdown and how we started with our own funds, we had to think differently. We had to be scrappy. We had to be lean. We had to do everything. We had to take, in large part, we had to take creative and strategic risks that we knew um, were going to win us business or lose us business. And so for us, this, this whole challenger mindset really is just that. Um, it's, it's a way of thinking. It's a belief system. Uh, and it's about creating a business model and an approach to uh, how you develop your craft and your business that is on brand, on message, on point, everything that you believe in and everything your customers are wanting, but that but that is disruptive and therefore sticky and creates real impact. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the key there uh, is, you know, real impact. Uh, you know, sometimes we've seen it, 
where somebody or, or something is disrupted, you know, and it, it's just a blip on the radar and then it, it, and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it disappears. So yeah, to have lasting impact is important. All right. So let's talk about this. How can leaders incorporate the challenger mindset into their business? Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, I, I would just speak from my, my point of view, uh, which actually is quite varied because we've over the years, I've been in the business of live for the last 32 or 33 years. And I've had the opportunity to work with uh, many of the biggest CEOs in the world and political leaders in the world. And uh, the successful ones, the ones that are leading um, forward thinking companies have this ability to continually challenge themselves and challenge their organizations in order to create change. And, you know, I have this fundamental belief that uh, challenge and change are like twin brothers and sisters. They're yin and yang to one another. So in order to change, you need to challenge. And then in order to uh, continue to change, in order to continue to challenge, you need to change. And so it's, it's really interesting because the, the larger you get and the more successful you become, it's easy to fall into a, a sense of complacency. And it's easy to, um, to, go, to move away from the things that you did in the early days when you were more risk averse and you were able to take, you wanted to take, you would take those chances. It's easy to move away from that. And we firmly believe that, you know, scale has a tendency to breed mediocrity and mediocrity is in fact the best friend of failure. In fact, you see mediocrity and failure walking down the street together hand in hand almost every single day. I like I do like that mindset in order to change you must challenge and in order and, and, and I like that because you know you and I were talking before the show how some of these massively successful companies have disappeared because they were afraid to challenge themselves they were afraid of changing we talked about Blockbuster. we talked about Howard Johnson's uh, you know Kodak is another one Kodak at one point had all the patents for digital photography they owned them all and because they were afraid to challenge themselves, they held on to those patents until the patents more or less expired and all these other competitors came out with digital photography and ate their lunch. That's but, correct. you know, it just blows me away. They had all of the patents and they just decided to sit on their hands because they were afraid. Yeah. And I mean, if you, you look at you look at those three companies in particular, Blockbuster, Howard Johnson's and Kodak. And there's such strong parallels between brick and mortar retail uh, and, um, and 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 online shopping, you know, e-commerce, e um, and and those three companies in particular had an opportunity to 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 basically take the extreme assets that they had built and the amount of power that they had because of their scale and pivot with the demands of the market as they continued to change. But to your point, Bert, they simply didn't. And overnight, all three of those companies somehow went out of business uh, and are no longer around. I'm interested in following the Howard Johnson's uh, brand and story because pre-COVID, um, Wyndham Hotels had, had, had purchased the brand and had started to bring that brand back to life. And I think they're starting, they've begun to do a really incredible job of going back to what made Howard Johnson's great in their heyday. Okay, so, so let's talk about that real quick. Uh, they started pre-COVID 
and obviously everything's on hold. So theoretically, you know, who knows what's going to happen afterwards. But in, in your experience, in, in, in you know, uh, what do you think made Howard Johnson's brand the big success that it was? Oh, they created a unique experience unlike any other ho hotel chain in the world. And it was an experience that was consistent at every single uh, hotel you went into or every single Howard Johnson's restaurant you went into. You, you knew what you were getting. Uh, you knew what you were, you know, what, what you were paying for. Um, and they created a unique experience. And I think that, you know, the brands that want to uh, continue to exceed, regardless of the platform of delivery, whether it's a live, live type brand or it's a digital brand, um, consumers want to be engaged. They want to be included in a community and, and they want to have a fulfilling experience. And brands and organization, again, regardless of their platform, need to authentically represent their brand in a way that they can engage consumers with. Uh, you know, right now, there's a lot of talk about millennials uh, and Jens, Bert, and, and they are, we believe, you know, the most powerful uh, generation in the world right at the moment. Uh, they're going to make up in a year's time well over half the world's population. And they want, to, they want one thing more than anything else, uh, in fact, we like to joke about it. They want they want a shareable experience more than anything else. So we'll joke that you know a young couple that's about to get engaged, she'd rather go to Coachella and be able to share that on her social platforms than have an engagement ring. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And so brands that understand that and are able to create that level of engagement with their consumers and their customers are the ones that are going to come out ahead in the long run, but especially coming out of you know, the pandemic that we're in right now, because a lot of businesses, regardless of what they do, are dormant. And so it's uber critical for brands to come up with strategies and tactics to continue to keep that relationship with their customers and their consumers so that the consumers and customers are there when the businesses come back. Yeah, yeah. You know what? And it's uh, interesting what you said about the uh, shareable experience. We've seen an explosion of shareable experiences, uh, everything from getting engaged to uh, maternity. Uh, we've seen a lot of people who will, you know, the, the couple will post the, the baby bump picture as it gets bigger, 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 and then smaller, 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 and, and all that other stuff. And, and uh, people who have orchestrated, talk about a shareable experience, people who've orchestrated flash mobs as part of the engagement and it's just uh, uh yeah so i think you hit the nail on the head i think that you know in today's social media shareable type environment a lot of people would rather go someplace where they can look cool share the experience and, and, and with today's technology they can share it live yeah totally as opposed to a, you know a, a small intimate setting I completely agree. And I, I think for brands and organizations, you know, again, I'll talk about the forward looking or, or forward leaning brands and organizations that really understood and understand the value of a live engagement and, and the fact that you can create a relationship between a brand or an organization and a customer and a consumer better than any other form of, of, of engagement now have the ability to scale that with, with all of this digital technology that's flooded the world because we're all now so used to doing this kind of an interview or a conversation. Now all brands need to do is combine those technologies with their live engagement experiences 
and they're going to have things that are personable and, and interconnected, build communities. You can measure your ROI. You can you can begin to uh, collect, collect data and therefore have analytics on on behaviors and patterns and all kinds of things that you weren't able to get simply from a live experience in and of itself or alone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's do this because we started talking about the challenger mindset and I, I want to come back to that. Uh, so I want to ask you this. So if I'm the CEO, the owner, the entrepreneur, and I want to start <clears throat> this challenger mindset, start incorporating the challenger mindset, how can I, how can the CEOs and the and entrepreneurs out there, how can they communicate it to their teams and in a way that everybody ensures a buy-in? Talk about this. Yeah. So first off, you've got to, you've got to believe in it. Uh, entirely and and um, universally, and you need and then you need to get your leadership that is around you uh, to buy into it. Uh, so that's first and foremost. And then and then what you need to do is you need to create really a rallying cry around your your positioning on how you're going to go to market, the kinds of products that you're going to offer, uh, and and what you're going to do to to uh, do things different and and create that impact or that stickiness that I was talking about. But but I think the biggest thing is is that you know when you when you go out with this challenger belief you're asking people to take risks you're asking people to get comfortable being uncomfortable because you're going to push them out of their comfort zones and so the biggest thing that you need to do is create an organization that is accepting of 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 individuals who are going to make mistakes because when people get out of their comfort zone they do things that are um, different than what they've done in the past, they're gonna trip and fall, they're gonna skin their knees. And you've gotta create an organization that is supportive of that. And you know, um, we're firm believers that mistakes actually create success. And for those who have never been through a failure or have never fallen down and skinned their knees or uh, slipped on the ice in front of a thousand people watching you ice skate, uh, gotten back up again, if you've never done that before, then, then you're not going to succeed because you've got to go through those kinds of things in order to continue to evolve. And the organization actually has to be supportive of that if, in fact, you're going to adapt a true challenger mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, listening to you, I was uh, reminded of Google. Google has, uh, at least in, in, my, in, in my experience, kind of like that challenger mindset. They allow their employees to spend 20% of their time and energy on anything they want. And from there, uh, you know, not only have great ideas come, come from that, but based on what the uh, employees have done, I mean, that's one of the reasons that Google bought some of those robotic companies that they bought. Totally. Uh, and, and so, you know, when you allow your employees to, you know, to make mistakes, to try new things, you can't help but innovate and, and because that's what innovation innovation is all about is, is challenging the, the, the status quo and, and, and not being afraid to screw up. I mean, look, Google, uh, one of the things that I hate and love about them is that they will invest not just money, but years into a project. Uh, you know, they've had not one, but two social media uh, attempts that had failed. And so, Yep. You know, there was uh, was it Google? Oh, I was I can't remember. What was it 
anyway, so there was like, uh, it was a Google Places app. I can't remember now, but it was like, uh, but but they stopped, you know, so, so they had, uh, uh, I think it was like Google Circles was like their first uh, step into the social media. They did that for a few years and they killed it. Then they came out with another one a few years ago, which just died last year or January of this year. They killed it. Um, but now it's evolved to Hangouts, which is, by all accounts, extremely successful. But yeah. imagine imagine being Eric Schmidt, who was their CEO and chairman for a, a fairly long period of time, going to his CFO and saying, I want you to accrue 20% of our entire workforce's time because I'm going to send them out to do whatever they want. That's right. not work or not specific to our COGS and not specific to our work product. But in the end of the day, it's going to create an incredible uh, pr value proposition for us. Yes. And, and, and that does take a very courageous mindset because, you know, when you start thinking about it uh, under those terms, it just sounds crazy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and, you know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, as a challenger brand or a challenger organization, um, you, you, you do and you do it without thinking. Um, and, and, but, but interestingly enough, it's really difficult as a startup organization to do those kinds of things, but there are a number of things that you can do that, that as a small business, you can, you can continue to push yourself out there, put yourself out there in ways that other larger flat footed, uh, you know, groups aren't, aren't doing, um, and, and give you a competitive advantage where you might otherwise not have one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? So um, there's a, a gentleman, Grant Cardone, who one of the things that that I learned from him, uh, he used to be a regular on the show, is that he used to say, Bert, it doesn't take money. It takes courage. <laughs> and, and, to, you know, and, and the more I thought about that, the more on point he was, because it does take courage. I mean, sometimes we're afraid to ask for a discount. Again, it wasn't the money. You were just afraid of being rejected. Uh, sometimes, you know, you're afraid, uh, you know, you, uh, you're afraid to or not afraid, but um, you're not willing to maybe take that step that you need to take because you don't think you're worthy of it. Right. If somebody, you know, if somebody if it was such a good idea, somebody else would have thought of it by now. Who am I to try this or to try that or to write a book or to be a speaker. Right. And right. so it doesn't always take money. It's so, most of the time it just takes courage. Right. Well, that, that was my point about, about um, scale breeds mediocrity and mediocrity is the best friend of failure because what happens is you continue to grow. You don't, you, you can use your scale to where you don't have to be as innovative anymore and you don't have to take those kinds of risks. And in fact, it's even harder to take risks. I mean, my wife and I, you know, we, we have a very different lifestyle than what, when we did in 2008 and it's it's it takes a lot of nerves to continue to make the kinds take the kinds of strategic risks that we used to take when we didn't have anything. You know, when we didn't have three college tuitions, we didn't have a mortgage, we didn't have fancy car payments. So, I you know, I think you can apply that that level of thinking to any kind of scale or growth. And, and, and organizations have to continue to do the things that you have to evolve, obviously. But you've got to continue to take the kind of strategic risks that you took when you started the business, even though you may be a market leader. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and again, we have so much documented proof what happens to market leaders when they stop challenging themselves, when they're afraid to take risks. Uh, you know, we talked about 
Howard Johnson's, uh, Kodak, Blockbuster, and that's just off the top of our heads. I mean, there's probably hundreds out there that made that uh, mistake, right? So, all right, so let's talk about this because in your book, you discuss how entrepreneurs uh, can do far more than, uh, than established companies while having far fewer employees. How can this model work, including on a global scale? Because I think that what a lot of people have a tough time with, Scott, is that global uh, or that scaling, right? Global scaling is huge, but scaling alone, I think, again, frightens some entrepreneurs. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, at, at Invent, we have this uh, philosophy of being a small, big agency. Uh, and so what we what we mean by that is we have tried to keep the the architecture, the infrastructure, the, the DNA of everything that we were when there were four or five of us, even though we're now a global agency with eight offices in five countries. And so the bigger you get, you have to continue to create uh, a process and organizational structure that allows you to act and look and feel and behave like that startup entrepreneurial shop that, that you were when you first started the business. Uh, I think successful entrepreneurs uh, are successful because, because of a number of characteristics, but one of the things that becomes increasingly challenging is to keep that small business uh, mindset and culture and DNA throughout the entire organization when you're when you're working across continents and time zones and language uh, differences and nuances. So for us, it's about creating, you know, that, that small, big uh, agency culture. Uh, yeah, so, so uh, absolutely. You know what? Um, you know, it's one of those things where uh, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you, uh, what do you call it? I'm trying to remember how that phrase goes. Uh, treat your clients that are far away like they're your next door neighbor um, and the next door neighbor like they're far away. And, 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 you know, bottom line is, is that, again, it's a mindset thing. It, it's you can sit there and think, man, uh, this guy's out in London or and he's on a different time and, and it, this is going to be difficult or you can just say, hey, this is going to be a learning curve and 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 I'm what do you call it? I'm up for the challenge. Yeah, right. Well, that, that brings up a really good point, because what you just to me described is is one of the things that we're passionate about. You know, as you continue to scale and grow, you need to you need to evolve your process and you need to have process and you need to take advantage of that process. But uh, a lot of organizations actually get hung up on process and they have process just for process sake. So yeah. Tina McCubrey, who's my wife and our, our COO, we, we happen to call her our process profit because she, she actually has this innate ability to, to understand the right level, the right amount of process, where to drop it into the ingredients of the rest of the organization and how to use that process to scale growth and not inhibit growth. And one of the things that she um, has done, which I think is incredibly valuable for us, is every single year our leadership team will evaluate every every process bit that we have in our organization, we'll evaluate it. Is it getting in the way? Throw it out. It was good last year. It's not good now. Let's get rid of it. What else do we need to introduce? And so we're constantly ditching stuff for better things or just ditching stuff because they don't work anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, I can't remember who coined this phrase, but it stuck in my head. 
And the phrase is, what would this look like if it was simple? <laughs> right? Because as humans, sometimes, you know, we, we just, we have an instinct for making things more complicated than they should be. And, and I'm sure that, you know, uh, in your experience, you've seen people who have, who have basically convoluted their processes and their systems. And you're going, well, why don't we just take all this out or, you know, what are you doing with all these different steps? You only need three, but you got 20 totally. instead or something. It's crazy. Totally. We, we, we've got, we've become an organization that, you know, that has this mantra, do more with less faster. <laughs> and, uh, like you know, it, it applies to everything from, from emails. Uh, you know, we, we send um, uh, emails that are one sentence paragraphs. So you'll, instead of three paragraphs, you have three sentences because that one sentence should be able to capture the entire thought. It's, it's, uh, then we do 15 minute, uh, conference calls, you know, 30 minutes tops, um, you know, 25 to 45 minute meetings. And it's all about doing more, uh, with less faster. <laughs> yeah. And I think that a lot of people need to acquire that, I, that, that mindset again, uh, because we are so used to having our meetings when, maybe it only only we really need is 15 or 20 minutes right i mean let's just get in let's get out let's just move. and and uh especially you look at these these larger companies and a lot of them are so stuck in stuff that they were doing 20 30 years ago that they haven't reevaluated that process back to what you were talking about with christina that process or those processes have not been evaluated in so much time and we're doing it this way because we've always done it this way mindset, right? That's right. That's right. And and again, you you know, you you don't you can't challenge you can't change unless you challenge. And so challenging those systems and those processes uh, and and making sure that they still stand up and that they still do what they were intended to do is a critical part of of changing uh, yeah. continuing to evolve. Yes. And, and I love this idea that you cannot change without challenge and you know, this is something that, as we started saying at the at the beginning of the show, it's got, it's it's got to be something from the top down. Everybody's got to be on that same page because otherwise it won't work. Uh, you 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 have to be able to challenge what the you know what what the status quo is in order to change it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And a, and a, a lot of a lot of executive leaders, you know, uh, have have a mindset of I'm at the top, right? I'm at the top of the ivory tower. Uh, my office is in the highest floor of the building. And, um, you know, we're fans of, of servant leadership where we actually, the, the people on our team uh, who are leaders in this organization, will we, we consider ourselves that we're working for our employees. We're working for our team members. We're there to support them, to make them successful. And I think it's really a shift in, in paradigm for a lot of leaders uh, that that you don't you don't just sit there and wave your hands and point your fingers and say go go go. You actually have to reach out and say what can I do to help you do your job? Where where do you need support? What resources do you need? Where do I need to give you better coaching and mentoring? And I think if 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 you can adopt that mindset as a leader, uh, your your organization will continue to evolve and grow. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. I love it. All right. So let's go back and talk about uh, something that you've already mentioned, which is the massive, um, uh, the massive demographic known as millennials and you know Gen Z as well. 
Uh, I know that you talk a lot and you emphasize the explosion of smartphones and tablets and and how can companies use that to tell a story? I mean, because, you know, we have TikTok, we have, um, uh, what do you call it, YouTube, we have uh, Snapchat. There's all these different areas that where obviously they can use. Should they use them all? Should they just use one? How do we... How do we use these smartphones to our advantage? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So, I mean, the, the first thing is you have to have a strategy. Everything's grounded in strategy, right? So you have to understand um, what, what you want to do. And with regards to millennials and gens, you know, I said earlier, they want an experience more than they want anything else. And they actually want a shareable experience. So brands and organizations have an opportunity to capitalize unlike any other time in, in the history of the world, I think by using these portable devices, smartphones or whatever, in order to uh, create these shareable experiences that not only number one, amplify the experience, but number two, uh, create brand loyalists and what we like to call uh, citizen journalists. And when you have an organization that is being represented by consumers and, and brand loyalists, that's much more powerful than, than having a paid spokesperson. And so I think there's a real opportunity for organizations, assuming they have the right strategy, to develop a digital, digital storytelling uh, platform and focus. And we, we believe in it so much, we've, we invested in a group called Heavy, H-E-V-E, that they are a, a digital branded content storytelling studio. And um, they, they design uh, digital content for uh, platforms of every kind. Uh, including uh, broadcast television, but we also wrap them into our live event production and they're used to develop and create content around those live events and then amplify those events beyond uh, the, the confines of whatever size venue we're in and what audience size we have. Yeah, I like that. I like that. All right. And, and what's the name of that company? Heavy? Heavy. H-E-V-E. Yep. H-E-V-E. Yeah. H-E-V-E. Studio.com, heavystudios.com. I like it. I like it. All right. So let's talk about what what do you mean by the live brand storytelling? Uh, because I, I can just hear it out, uh, hear it now, Scott. There's a lot of people out there saying, man, I'm not a storyteller. I, I, I'm not good in front of people. I don't want to do videos. Uh, so what do you mean? What is live brand storytelling? Yeah, well, so so for us, I think everybody has a story. And sure. I, I think as long as you're authentic, uh, whether you're an individual telling a story or you're a brand telling a story, uh, you don't have to be good at it as long as you're authentic. Because people people gravitate to authenticity more than they do more than any anything else, in my opinion. And um, so so for us, what live brand storytelling is, is a matter of um, understanding the sort of the overarching uh, organizing principle or communication desire of, a, of an organization or a brand are figuring out uh, the, the strategy on how to communicate that and then bringing it to life in, in a live way. And every single event, uh, the, 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 the uh, conversation we're having right now, Bert, it's, it's being done digitally, but it's a live moment. So every single event, be it a, a, a conversation like this, uh, a, a, a conversation with your colleague around the water cooler in the office uh, or 
an interview with uh, a, for, a, a future employee or an employer employee, uh, or a presentation to 5,000 people is a, a live event and, and needs to be grounded in good storytelling. Um, you know, there's a reason that Shakespeare was published. I think he's the most published writer in the history of the world. Um, with, with it published in over 350 countries, I believe. There's a reason for that. He understood the craft and the art of storytelling, and he knew how to engage an audience and take them through a sequence of events that kept you uh, alive and alert throughout the entire uh, uh, story. Sure, sure. And I like what you said there. You don't have to be good, whatever that means to you. You just have to be authentic. And you know what? Uh, you and I have are lucky enough to be able to speak to audiences and you probably, I, I know I have seen some people who the way they speak doesn't resonate with me. It right. puts me to sleep. Right. You know? uh, but it resonates with some people. It resonates with enough people that they have a following. Um, so, uh, Oh my goodness. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, what is the gentleman's name? Um, He's a perfect example. He's a uh, he was a friend of mine until he passed away, and he was famous for uh, the Seven Habits of Highly Successful. Oh, Stephen Covey. Thank you, Stephen Covey. You and he look you and he look alike. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, so Stephen uh, to me was a, a a very good teacher, but he also uh, was very the way he spoke was a little bit slower than I'm used to was almost. And a lot of times he, he got uh, very technical. His son, Sean uh, was more of my style of a speaker, but look at, look at, look at, uh, you know, he has a massive following. His books are still being published and republished in seven, uh, seven habits of highly successful people is, is still one of the most recommended books. He was, some people may not, call him a good speaker, but he was authentic and therefore he had a massive following. Yeah, 100%. And not only was he authentic to his own presentation style and the way he told stories, but he was authentic to what he was speaking about. He truly yeah. believed in the seven characteristics, you know, and all of the other books that he wrote on the tales of that. Like, so there's a, there's a level of authenticity in terms of how you present yourself, but there's also a level of authenticity in your belief and what you're speaking about. And, you know, I mean, we have we, we see it every day in the news. We see, you know, politicians that are just reading notes off of a page. Do they actually believe this stuff or not believe this stuff? There's a real difference. And I think when it comes to communicating, you've got to have a real belief in what you're saying uh, and then just be yourself, you know, beyond that, which is what you described with Covey. Or yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, uh Again, not to be political, but uh, we've had. That brought us there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I mean, look. So so whether you love him or hate him, Donald Trump is authentic. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, the same thing with Barack Obama, the same thing with George Bush Jr., the same yeah. thing with Bill Clinton, and and all these all these leaders, all these massive presidents, uh, or I should say, massive iconic people, Richard Branson, uh, yep. you name it. The list goes on. These people are authentic. They, they are themselves. And and, uh, you know, uh, I was watching a Shark Tank um, episode with Richard Branson. And you can tell that Richard Branson was having a good time. And, and, and of course, he ended up uh, uh, 
uh, what do you call it? Uh, he, he ended up pissing off Mark Cuban because of his, because of the way he acted, right? And he splashed right. Mark Cuban with some water and, and I stuff. Saw the episode. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's typical Richard Branson. He is right. that fun-loving guy who's going to do quirky things and, and uh, doesn't mean anything by it. You have to be yourself. And, and back to what you said about believing in what you're saying. If you don't believe it, then you're not being authentic. That's exactly right. That's exactly exactly right. I think you do see it all the time, uh, where where you're kind of like, I don't believe this person, you know, um, and 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 if if by the way, if you're not credible and you're not believable, then it doesn't matter how how slick you are or how how well you perform, you know. You got to have you got to have the, the the belief and the authenticity in what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, we're getting short on time. I wanted to ask you this final question. Back to the challenger mindset. How does the challenger approach work in the, in hiring people, hiring practices? Yeah. So in the early days, like we we hired way too fast. Um, we we were growing at an exponential rate. We had a forty six percent CAGR uh, in the first ten years of our existence, and we hired anybody that would that we that had a, that was breathing and had a pulse. But now now I think it's really important to uh, hire uh, slow and, and fire fast. So fundamentally, that's, that's the philosophy that we have. But then beyond that, we look for what we like to call wicked smart teenagers. So we want to hire people, regardless of your age, I'm not talking about a demographic now, uh, I'm talking about a belief system and a way of, of approaching life in general and approaching you know, the work environment. We want to hire people that aren't afraid to take risks, that aren't afraid to fall down, that aren't afraid to make mistakes, perhaps embarrass themselves, but are going to get back up and go at it again and go at it again and go at it again. Um, and so we look for people that have, I'm 56 years old, and yet I consider myself in the way I think and believe a, a, a wicked, well, maybe not wicked smart, but I'm a teenager at heart, you know, and I fall down every single day still. And I, I've been, I'm the CEO of one of the most successful companies in our sector, and I trip and fall every day, but I get back up there with as much passion and energy as I had before I fell down. And I think those two things in particular um, speak to, from our perspective, the way challengers should hire and what they should be looking for. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's, uh, it's interesting. I like that uh, wicked smart teenager philosophy. Uh, I think that uh, uh, my, my sweet wife would definitely tell you that uh, I'm about as mature as a, as a teenager. <laughs> May, and, and definitely not wicked smart. <laughs> <laughs> Mine would say the same thing about me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I uh, what do you call it? Uh, my daughter, who is uh, has been married just a couple of years, I, I finally told her. I said, uh, "We don't actually mature much more than we are now. I mean, we're still That's true. we're still goofy little boys, and uh, you know." <laughs> I'm, I, uh, our youngest is uh, nineteen. And I think I'm all the guys in her circle. I think I'm I'm their best friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, but that's a blessing. That that is a, a great way to go through life to uh, you know feel young at heart, and uh, I I uh, feel pretty you know grateful for that. Uh, and and uh, and I do feel very young until I look in the mirror and then I go, oh yeah, I'm eleven <laughs> years old. I have no hair. And, <laughs> I understand. Yeah. All right. So I want to say thank you so much. Real quick, let's let's talk about the book or promote the book one more time. It's called Challenge Everything, 
the battle cry that blew shit up and invented live brand storytelling. Um, Scott, thank you for stopping by. Looking forward to catching up with you again. Thank you, Bert. I really appreciate it. You bet. Talk to you later, guys. Good chatting with you. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.